Amen. I am so appreciative of all the faithful ministry that we have functioning here in our church, from nursery workers to children's ministry to young people to our adult classes uh, and things that we're doing uh, uh, in different areas. And uh, while we were gone, yeah, we've got a few more. While we were gone uh, to Africa, so many people stepped up to the plate and just uh, helped uh, uh, keep this house of God moving forward wonderfully. Uh, it's, it's refreshing to know that things continue to move forward, forward when you're not here. And so thank everybody for that. Uh, tonight, I'm thrilled to begin a series on the book of Philippians. And you have uh, in, in your possession some notes that you can take and fill out if you so desire. The reasons I say if you so desire, some people would rather sit and listen and comprehend, uh, you know, rather than try to always be focused on filling in the blanks. I understand that. So that's just optional for you. I'm going to endeavor to have uh, these handouts every Wednesday night through this series. And this series, uh, can you believe this? There's before uh, Christmas, I think there's only eight teaching spots left on Wednesday night. We've got a family thing scheduled and then we won't have think, uh, have have service on, I think Christmas is on a Wednesday, so we won't have service there, and we won't have service the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, so, and then at the end of this month, we're going to have a special family fall fellowship here, so when you subtract those three, there's eight slots to be able to teach the Word of God on Wednesday night, and so this series may take those eight Wednesday nights. So we'll see how it goes. Come right in, come right in. And uh, as people are coming in, we have handouts if you need them. Uh, and so uh, RS will help you with that. So I really believe tonight's going to be a great night for you. And, and these eight slots, these Wednesday nights where we're studying the book of Philippians are going to make a big difference in your life. Here's what I want us to do before we jump in. I want us, I know we've prayed already, but I want us to just reach out. We've got somebody beside you, put your hand on their shoulder and say, God, just speak to them tonight and bless them with the word of God. And Lord, we agree together for one another that your word will make a big difference in our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Tonight we begin studying the book of Philippians, and we're going to do an expositional study, meaning we're going to go through the book, uh, not necessarily word for word, but, but passage by passage. Tonight is very introductory. We won't actually begin studying passages of Philippians. We'll be looking at some. I'm going to build a foundation for you tonight that I think is going to get you ignited and fired up about God's Word on Wednesday night. And so, how many of you are ready to learn something and grow in Christ a little bit? So, hey, I just want to encourage you just to look at the next eight Wednesday nights, or really the next eight teaching Wednesday nights, and say, in eight Wednesday nights, I'm going to get a, a marvelous handle on the book of Philippians, and it's going to make a radical difference in my life. Because, hey, listen, let's just jump right in. It's called the epistle of what? The epistle of joy. Now, let me just, before we fill in any blanks, listen, the, the whole world is searching for the joy of the Lord. They just don't understand it. How many of you know they're searching for it in all kinds of ways? And, and 
let me, hey, you want to be, let's all be honest. How many of you, B.C., before Christ, you, in an endeavor to, to, to satisfy the inner need in your life of joy and happiness, you did a lot of stupid things? Oh, man, we'll try anything if we think it might give us a little rush and a little temporary fix, if you will, or assuage the pain of the reality of our life. And so, so Paul the Apostle is coming along to this church in Philippi, and, and he's just giving them a fresh dose of, of joy. And so that's what I think God's going to do for you. He's going to help you begin to discern in your heart what true joy is all about and how, how God wants to help us move to a place of having joy that supersedes our circumstances. See, the world's mindset, and if we're not careful, the church's mindset is this. If I can get everything just right, if I can get all my duckies in a row, if Mr. Right or Mrs. Right comes along or, or if Mr. Wrong leaves or Mrs. Wrong leaves or something, you know, then if I can get all my duckies in a row and, and get, my, get, get more money than month coming in. Man, most people, the, 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 the big goal of life is to have more month than you got, more money than you got month. How many of you know God wants to get us way beyond those things? That's the way the world looks at life. But I'm telling you, Paul the Apostle raises the bar of what it's like for a king's kid who gets the understanding and the revelation of joy in their life. And how many of you want to go down that journey with me over the next few Wednesday nights? So here we go. Look in Philippians chapter 1. And let's just jump in. I'm going to read a few verses here for you just to kind of get you a little baptism into the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, I'm not even there yet. If you're there, say, I'm there, Pastor. See, I'm not even there. Ephesians, uh, Philippians. Here we go. The first four verses. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in where? Where are they? Philippi. With the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all what? Joy. And so tonight we begin the book of Philippians and we can just begin and I just want to tell you right up front, the overarching theme of this book is joy. The, what, we'll, what I'll call biblical joy. In fact, joy and rejoice, those two words appear in Philippians 14 times. Now, in these four chapters, that seems like kind of an overkill. But if, if that's the theme of the book, uh, hey, if that's what Paul's trying to get across, hey, you know what? He's writing a thank you letter to them, by the way. But the theme of this thank you letter is the joy of the Lord and the responsibility and the, and the capability of God's people to have joy in the midst of all circumstances. So, in fact, gosh, the, the, when you look at this word joy and rejoice from a New Testament, it, the whole New Testament is packed with the mindset of joy and rejoicing as a king's kid. Everybody say amen. Now, the most famous, I call, I think the most famous verse in Philippians that references the joy of the Lord and rejoicing is Philippians 4.4. 4. It says this. What does it say? Rejoice in the Lord. How? When? 
Rejoice in the Lord. When? And then he stops, comma, and again I say what? How many of you know he's trying to drive this point home? He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Not that I probably should, but I think I'll quote a line from Lonesome Dove. I don't even remember who said it, but they said something in, about, oh, maybe it was, uh, it was, I don't know, what was it? Gus, when one of those fellows died. He said he's cheerful in all weathers. In other words, the circumstances of life did not rob him of his joy. And how many of you know Paul the Apostle here and what we're going to learn, that God wants us to be cheerful in all weathers. And regardless of what we're going through, we have the capacity, the ability as a king's kid to look beyond the circumstances of our moment and truly have an inner sense of joy that goes way beyond and circumvents and overrides and undermines even the circumstances of your life. Everybody look at one another and go, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> so it's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. R.H. Right, Linsky, in reference to this book, He's, and I love his statement. The joy is, joy is the music that runs through this epistle. The sunshine that spreads all over it. The whole epistle radiates joy and happiness. And what I want you to do this week, how many of you will take a little homework? That means you go home and you do a little work. I want you to take a little homework. And this is good homework. This is the kind of homework that'll, that'll bless you. This is the kind of homework that'll help you. I want you to take the book of Philippians and just begin to read it. And I want you to begin to digest it. I want you to let it begin to ruminate on the inside of you. How many of you know the Bible says in Psalm 1, 1 it says, He that uh, meditates on the law of the Lord, he said, uh, Hey, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he what? meditate day and night he'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water which yields its fruit in its season and and i think i'm butchering it a little bit uh and whatsoever he does will prosper now you take the book of philippians and you begin to meditate on it any any farmer any old cow hands in the in the audience tonight anybody ever raise cows you, you did i've never raised cows but i i was around a little bit you ever see them chew the cud Hey, chew the cud. Now, this is kind of gross, but what they do, chew the cud, then they'd swallow it. By the way, they have four stomachs. I didn't know that until I started going to school. They have four stomachs. I don't know where the cud goes, what stomach it goes to, but then the cow goes, ooh, I kind of like that. So I think I'll chew on it some more. That's what they do. That's kind of the idea of meditation. You take this book, you read it, and you think about it, you ponder it, you chew the cud, you swallow it, and then go, hmm, I think I need some more of that. Read it some more. And you just meditate on it and, and get all you can get out of that. You want a side note that has nothing to do with this message? Years ago when I was a little boy, I had my, I had my cousin at his, his house and his dad raised cows. And my cousin was a kind of a genius kind of curious wacky kid and we found a dead cow and he said did you know the cows have four stomachs and I said no he said you want to see them I said yeah 
So he snuck into the kitchen and got grandma's best butcher knife. True story. And there's, this has nothing, we'll never get through tonight. Here's this big old cow. And my cousin gets up on top of this cow. And does this. Boing. And so he rears back again. Boing. And he can't. And about the third time he made good contact. And it was like. Needless to say, we never saw the stomachs. We had enough experience. Okay, so where did I get off of that? Meditating on the word of the Lord. You take Philippians and you meditate on it and you get all you can out of it because it'll make a difference in your life. Now, I'm going to lay a foundation. We're just going to kind of build a foundation. We're going to look at Paul here. Paul's the one who wrote the letter. Now, I'm going to kind of walk you through his life because where is he when he writes this letter? He is in prison in Rome. And, and, and there, he had different sets of circumstances while he was in prison, but some of the prison places that he was, he was in were not the most blessed. They were not like down the highway here, uh, where they have basketball courts and TVs or whatever else they do. Uh, he, he had some adverse circumstances in his life. And so understand this about Paul in prison. There was nothing about his ministry and his life that would lend itself to the production of an overriding inner joy of heart and life. This guy had a rough life. When he gave his life to Christ, things did not go well for him. You see, some people say, well, you just give your life to Christ and man, it's going to be great. It's Chevrolet, apple pie and whoo-hoo and man, fair food and Jesus coming and joy. In the Hey, sometimes... Some of the biggest evidence of Christ in our life is not, uh, uh, you know, Chevrolet and Apple Pile. It's trouble. And Paul the Apostle experienced great trouble in his life. You ready to enumerate it here with me? You see the long list here. Here, oh, Let me see. I got my time. Hey, turn over to 2 Corinthians before I go down this axe road here. Look at 2 Corinthians with me just for a moment. Look what Paul says about the circumstances of his life. I'm telling you, most of us, I don't know what we'd done if we'd gone through the circumstances that Paul went through. Look in verse 23 of chapter 11. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, and in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. For the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Somebody with math, it'd be 39 times 5. They'd get, hey, this man's back was lunch meat. I'm just telling you, this guy had issues. He had problems. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And he's not talking about marijuana. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters. I'm telling you, it just keeps going and going. Uh, in perils of robbers, in peril, perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness. Man, wherever he went was perils. 
perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, and weariness and toil, and sleeplessness, sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern is for all the churches. Wow. How many of you know this guy had a life that most of us could not even fathom? Acts chapter 9, post-conversion preaching, immediately produced opposition. I mean, it started from the get-go. Once he got converted and moved out into his preaching ministry, he experienced fierce opposition. Acts 14, verse 5 and 6, he was forced to flee Iconium, I-C-O-N-I-U-M. Acts 14, 19, and 20, he was pelted with stones and left for dead at Lystra. Acts 16, he was beaten and thrown in jail at Philippi. Acts 17, he's forced to flee Thessalonica after his preaching set off a riot. <laughs> Pardon me, that's funny to me. I've never had riots after my preaching. <sighs> he struck a nerve with the ungodly of that area. It's still funny to me, I'm sorry. Uh, Acts 20, oh, part, Acts 19 and 20, faced opposition and rioting Gentiles. Acts 20, Jewish plot, the Jews plot, plot against his life and required, that required him to change his travel plans to Palestine. Acts 20, he's beaten by a savage mob in Jerusalem. And he's right everywhere he goes. In fact, he gets a word from the Lord along this, somewhere along this line that, that trouble awaits him. Acts 21, he's arrested by Roman soldiers and that, by the way, probably saved his life from the mob in Jerusalem. Sometimes bad things are good for you. It was in his case. Acts 23, while in Roman custody, the Jews plotted against his life again, and they sent him to Caesarea. Hey, who went to Israel with me? Anybody here went to Israel with me? I know Jeremy did. Anybody else been to Israel? Anybody been to Caesarea? Uh, uh, we were in Caesarea, okay? Interesting thing about Caesarea, I'll tell you in a moment. So they sent him to Caesarea to get him away from the Jews. Acts 25, after two years in prison, because they're because they're not hearing his case. After two years in prison, what's happening? Nothing. And so he appeals to Caesar and was sent to Rome. Just a little side note there in Caesarea, there's the, the dock area where the ships would come up to the actual dock. And there's, I mean, these are, these are the, the ruins of Caesarea at the time of Paul. Okay, you get it? And there's actual steps that go down to where at the time, the, the water level's different now, but at the time where you would walk down these steps and get into the boat and head to Rome. And I stood on these steps and I thought, Shazam, Paul the Apostle walked, I can't say definitively, but this is the only set of steps down these steps and got into the boat and went to Rome. And so that just has that little memory in me when I get to this point in his life. And so he sent to Rome. And on his way to Rome, Acts 27 and 28, and by the way, uh, Acts is coming to an end here. 
after suffering shipwreck and snake bite. You remember the story? Shipwreck and snake bite. And the snake bite was, was what we call a two-stepper. It's a, a snake that, that if you get bit by it, you got about two steps and you're done. And so everybody just knew he was going to die. And when he didn't die, they thought he was God. And he shook the snake off into the fire, and it produced an opportunity for him to evangelize that area at the, on the isle called Malta. You can read about it in Acts 27 and 28. And he arrives in Rome. Now catch this. After four years in Roman custody, Paul writes his epistle of joy to the church in Philippi. Now there's the context of the kind of joy that I'm talking about when I talk about biblical joy. It has absolutely nothing to do with your circumstances. Everybody say, absolutely nothing. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. Now, the Philippian church, what was the circumstance? Well, they just had many negative circumstances going on in their life. Let me, let me enumerate what was going on in this church. Uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, we learn that this Philippian church was desperately poor. They were poor. But it didn't keep them from sacrificially giving. In fact, in the, the letter, Paul is commending them for their sacrificial giving because if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it talks about them being seriously lacking financially. But yet they gave, and the Bible says it was the grace of giving upon them. But they were desperately poor. And then in Philippians, if you go back to Philippians chapter 1, you'll learn verse 27 through 30 that, hey, just like Paul, this church was persecuted as well for the cause of Christ. You can write, you can fill in that blank. They were persecuted. Philippians 3, uh, 2, and then 18 and 19 reveals that the Philippian church had been attacked and undermined by false teachers. Philippians 4, 2 and 3, there's unity issues within the church. The unity of the church is being challenged. And so when you put Paul and the Philippians together, you find a plethora of adverse circumstances. There's adverse circumstances on all sides. But it does not undermine Paul's joy. And Paul comes to the Philippians in his letter of thanksgiving uh, and, and thanking them. He encourages them in the middle of these adverse circumstances as a role model and an example to them because he's writing from prison to not let the adverse circumstances of life rob them and undermine the true joy of heart as a believer. Okay, are you with me? Say amen. So let's look at the basis for biblical joy here. Let me just build a basis. And, and, and here I said this once, I'm going to say it again. The be, uh, hey, biblical joy is based solely, based solely upon Paul and the Philippian church. We can deduct that biblical joy has nothing to do with external circumstances. Zero, nada. And so when we look at life, now let's pause and just think about our own life. What is it that is hindering the joy in our life? And I want to tell you here, in all of us on some level, the circumstances of our life are undermining our joy. We are no different than the Philippian church. 
We tend and lend ourselves to the temporal side of life, do we not? But the more you study Paul the Apostle, I'm going to show you a scripture in just a moment. That, hey, he lived way beyond the temporal moment. He looked way beyond the adverse circumstances of his day. And how many, I've said it a hundred times, I'll say it again. How many of you know planet Earth is the shortest amount of time you'll ever live anywhere? And Paul had that eternal perspective. In fact, uh, gosh, hmm. Should I go here now? I'll wait. So we've got to get an understanding of biblical joy and where it comes from and how it's established in our life. So let me give you some thoughts tonight. Let's fill in. Number one, you've got to understand it's a gift of God. God wants to give you joy. It's a gift. In fact, Psalm 1611, it says in his presence is fullness of what? Joy. You just get in his presence. And the benefit of being in his presence is fullness of joy. And if we're lacking in joy, could it be that we're not living in the manifest presence of God in our life? We're living on a different, on, on the wrong plane, on the wrong side of life. It's a gift of God. Biblical joy is granted and given to those who hear and believe the gospel. Everyone say, hear and believe. Now that's important to understand because, because joy is, and we'll see it in just a moment, joy is birthed in our life and established in our life. And Ike, you can hit that next one. Uh, it's granted to believers who hear and believe the gospel. In fact, John 15, 11, uh, let me turn over there quickly. Uh, Jesus says this about his desire for all of us in reference to joy. He says this. These things I have spoken to you. Now that's the word of the Lord, right? He's talking to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you. That what? That my joy may what? Remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now here's where if you'll hang with me. And, and, and we'll hang together for the next few Wednesday nights. We can tap into something that we've never tapped into before. A fullness of joy. And that, that Peter calls a joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm telling you, we can take a step up in this life. Amen. I'm telling you. We can move into that place where we realize we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so it's granted to those who hear and believe the gospel, the good news. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say in Romans chapter 14, verse 17? He says, the kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the what? Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost produces joy in our life. If we start walking in the Spirit, it releases the fruit of joy. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Amen. So this joy that we see working in Paul that he was sharing with these Philippian believers in the time of adversity, he, hey, it's a gift. It's granted to, our, to believers who have faith in him. It's produced and developed by the Holy Spirit. And oh, catch this one. It's deepened by godly relationships. Now, let me show you this in Philippians. Go back to Philippians. Now, let me just say, and we're going to see this as we get into the book. 
probably more than any other church. Let me, let me, how many of you know everybody has favorites? Oh, we're not supposed to have favorites. We're supposed to love everybody equally, right? Absolutely. But how many of you know Jesus had a favorite? Who was Jesus' favorite? John. Who was next in line? Peter and James. And then it was the 12, and then it was the 70, then it was the masses. He had, he had a best friend. Jesus had a best friend. Now, Paul had a favorite church. Yeah, I believe it was Philippi. And you can, as we get into it, as you read it, and as you chew the cud this week, I want you to see how much Paul loved these people. Okay? So, here we go. Let me show you. It's found in verse 3 through 5 of chapter 1. I thank God upon what? Every remembrance of you. In other words, whoo, man, when he thinks about them, he just starts thanking the Lord. Let me ask you this. I know, anybody think about me today? You did? When you thought about me, did you go, oh, thank you, Jesus, for Pastor Sam. He's such a great guy. I can't wait. Nah, you didn't do that. You probably said, Lord Jesus, help him. Paul said, when I think about you, I just start, I just break out in thanksgiving to God. Now, follow with me. Always in every prayer of mine, always in every prayer of mine, how many of you know that's pretty bold to say, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. In other words, this was his baby. This was his special church. And he goes on for your, he said, always making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, do you catch that? I'm telling you, his relationship with these people stirred up, and I believe the feeling was mutual because they gave to him out of their need and sacrifice, and he said, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, because they loved him, and they sent money to him in his time of need. These folks loved one another, and it, it was manifest by an increase of joy in their life. You know some of the most unhappy people I think on planet earth? Christians, I'm going to put that in print, who, who are offended and unplugged from the local church. Boy, aren't they a joy to be around. Have you ever met any of those who'll bless you? Hey, how are you? Well, well get back and forth. Where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church. Oh, man, I got the warm fuzzies all over. Just give me the joy, joy, joy in my soul. They're some of the most unhappy people on planet Earth. But on the other hand, some of the most contented, joyful, blessed people I know are people who are connected to a thriving, alive, faith-filled body of believers. And they're building relationships that go way beyond how's the weather. Could I get a better amen? So godly joy, the basis of biblical joy, it's a gift from God. It's granted to believers who hear and believe. It's, it's produced and built uh, and established within us by the Holy Spirit. It's deepened by godly relationship. And here, and this is kind of the theme of this book, it's deepened through trials. Now you need to understand this. Trials for the, for
for the believer ought to move us closer into a relationship with Christ and increase our joy then move us away from it. Let me show you this biblically. Uh, let me check my time here. Okay, I got plenty of time. Let me show you this. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. T- take a right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6. Let me show you this. Just one phrase. And you became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much what? Affliction. With joy of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's something about enduring the trial that produces joy in our life. And it's based on an understanding. In fact, I'm going to slip ahead in James 1. It says, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into different trials and tribulations. How, How can you do that? Knowing that the testing of your faith, oh, it's just a test, produces patience or endurance and let patience or endurance uh, have its perfect work or be processed in your life that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing so hey understand something a trial for those who understand the process they know that the end thereof is perfect and complete lacking in nothing some people think trials and trouble is God just punishing us listen God's not out, out to punish you He'll correct us, but he's not out to beat you and hurt you and harm you. But believe you me. In fact, you remember John John 15 where Jesus said, uh, I read, he said, in me you'll have a fullness of joy. If you read on in John 16, a few verses down, he says, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In other words, this is only temporary. It's just a test. And it's going to work together for God's ultimate glory. So, hey, joy... Biblical joy that has nothing to do with our circumstances is actually deepened and developed through the trials of our life. The trials of life should not push you away from God. They should draw you closer to Him. Amen? Wow. I'm supposed to be teaching. I started preaching there. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 1. Keep going. It's Bible study time. Take a right. Hebrews, James, and then Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Speaking of Jesus and His glory, the revelation of Jesus. In fact, verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation or revealing of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's coming a time when we'll see him. But look at verse 8. Whom having not seen, you do what? Love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, there's faith, You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You see, even in the trials of life, when you're going through the testing of fire, joy ought to to rise up in the middle of trials. Trials should uh, should, should deepen the depth of joy in our hearts for eternity. And then the last one, biblical joy is completed when we set our hope on the glory of heaven. When we realize, hey, I'm on my way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas. Somebody say amen. Now, that's what 1 Peter 1.8 is all about when he says, hey, whom having not seen you love, 
Though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith. In other words, the close of your life. The salvation of your soul. And it's not talking about uh, uh, born again salvation, but saving you for eternity with Christ. Hey, joy is completed as we come to the revelation of a heavenly hope. And as I said, realizing that, hey, planet earth is the shortest amount of time I'll ever live anywhere. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. That's kind of some insight to a biblical hope. I love John MacArthur. He's a, an expositional preacher and teacher. He's written a lot of the commentary on the Bible. And here's his definition of biblical joy. I love it. Fill in the blank. Biblical joy is the settled conviction... That God sovereignly controls the events of life for the believer's good and for his glory. It's the settled conviction that God sovereignly controls the events of life for the believer's good and his glory. What's the first thing most people do when they, when they hit a bump in the road? God, what's the matter? What are you doing? How come, you know, and we, ha, ha, it's got to be, you know, and we get all hot and bothered. When in reality, those bumps in the road are a part of life. How many of you know, some people have this mindset, I become a Christian, everything becomes perfect. Listen, at very best, our life is on planet Earth is salt and peppered and seasoned with the sorrows and pains and traumas of this life. Are you, am I right about that? And so we got to get rid of this false understanding of what happens when you get born again. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Ultimately, I've overcome the world. It's a settled conviction. That God sovereignly controls the events of my life. I love what Kobe said uh, Sunday. I can't quite quote him, but he was talking about trouble and trauma. He said, you, you can just trust. Hey, it doesn't matter what I go through. I know God's not going to let anything happen to me that's not his will and what's not best for me in the ultimate end. In fact, let me chase this rabbit just a little bit if I think I can. Understand something. God's not his... Concerned about your problem as you are. And, and you remember Moses? He said, I can't do what you told me. I got a speech problem. You know what God said to him? Who made you that way? I could just hear God say, I made you with a speech problem. Who made the lame, the blind, and the halt? Have not I the Lord? Oh, I just messed up somebody's charismatic theology. We've been blaming the devil for all these things. When God says, hey, we live in a flawed world, and there's flawed people, and how many of you know, my Bible tells me that he somehow gets the glory when we have infirmity. I'm not claiming it. I'm just telling you that, hey, Paul's three times, Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away. God said, I'm not going to take it away, but I'll tell you what I will do. I'll show up in the middle of it and I'll get all the glory. Listen, I'd rather have a problem with Jesus and his mercy and grace in my life than no problem and no Jesus. 
And so this is amazing to me. The settled conviction. It's settled. And if in the next eight weeks you can begin to view life through this lens, it will change every area of your life. It's just settled. Hey, whatever happens, God's in charge. Ha, 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 ha. I got the joy, joy, joy in my soul. Come on now. And God's got my best interest at heart and his ultimate glory in mind. Wowsville. Now, oh man, I got time. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me show it to you. And while you're turning there, let's do this this week. Let's go find somebody that has joy issues. <laughs> How many of you got some people that has, need an attitude adjustment? In fact, some of them, some of them, you're just going, they sure should have been here right now. Because all they know how to do is complain and whine and moan to God. Go get you some people that have attitude. Just say, oh, my Lord Jesus, OMG, you got to be here next Wednesday night. Pastor's talking about joy. And could we be honest? Can we talk here? you in serious need. In fact, I'm going to point you to a website, and you can listen to last week's message. Because when he was talking, the Lord laid you on my heart. You can do it. Look in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, and I don't have time to go back and look at the therefore too much, but he's talking about in verse 8, chapter 4, we're hard-pressed, we're crushed, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, uh, we're struck down but not destroyed. In other words, just normal life for Paul the Apostle. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Could I, could I expand on that a moment? Therefore, we don't lose our joy and our reason for being. These temporary circumstances are not going to rob me of my, of my right heart before God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed, what? Day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. See, that's why you can have the settled conviction here. Our light, con our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And could I just say, did we just read all that Paul went through? How many times was he beaten? Forty, say, five times? Brother, that's not light in my book. Come on now. He says, it's a momentary light affliction, which is but for a moment. Catch this. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I used to think Paul was a, is it a sadomasochist? Just like people to beat him all the time. Because I, I kind of quoted the verse. He said, I glory in my infirmities. I'm going to say, What? But the reason he did, he knew it was working for him a far more and greater and more eternal weight of glory. While we do not look, catch this, and this is where if you can get this, this settled conviction, we do not look at the things that we're seeing. What do most people do? All we focus on is our, is our business, our stuff. 
Paul said, I'm just not looking. I'm not focusing on that. That's not the focus of my life is the trauma or the trouble. That's just a part of it. I'm not looking at, at all that. I don't look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's what he's talking about. To get a settled conviction that God sovereignly controls the events of life for the believer's good and God's and his ultimate glory. Hallelujah. That makes God God over your life. Amen. And when God is allowed to be God in your life, joy is the, is the fruit thereof. Because he's in charge. And the circumstances of your life are irrelevant when it comes to your relationship with him. Amen. Amen. And as I said earlier, the subtle conviction that John's talking about here comes by way of our faith. Fill in the blank. Romans 15, 13, let me show that to you. Romans 15, 13 says this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. There it is. See how they're they're connected? The God of hope fills you with all joy and peace. How does it happen? In believing. When you have faith in him, he can fill you with joy and peace. Amen. We read 1 Peter 1.8. It, it links our faith. With no, though having not seen him, we love him. And though we don't see him, yet we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, knowing that there's going to come an end to this walk of life, and we're going to see him just as he is. Amen. A lack of biblical joy reveals a lack of faith and an unhealthy temporal mindset. Fill in the blank. A lack of biblical joy reveals a lack of faith and an unhealthy temporal mindset. Now, the believer's commandment of joy. Let's just jump into that. Hey, Paul the Apostle in Philippians, Philippians 2.18, 3.1, and 4.4 all reveal that, the, that joy for the Christian is not a suggestion. It is a command. The command of God for our life is is to be full of joy. It's not just the desire of God. It's the command of God over our life. I love what uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says. Two words, rejoice always. That's the the whole verse. Anybody want to memorize the verse tonight? Here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. You got it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. Woo, you get that down, and it doesn't matter what comes your way. I'm going to rejoice always. Amen. And then prevailing joy. Biblical joy prevails. Here we go. Move forward with me, Ike. I'm moving fast. Biblical joy prevails and endures through the circumstances. It prevails and endures through the circumstances. When you get a good handle on biblical joy based upon your understanding of who God is and that that He has my best interest at heart, it'll endure through the circumstances. Hebrews 12 verse 2 talks about Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. 
He had a joy that moved him into his destiny. The joy that was set before him that had, had, was way beyond the temporary circumstances of his moment. And then there's James chapter 1. I already quoted it to you. Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces something positive in your life. Amen. Endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And here's the final question. What words would be written from the jail cell of your pain tonight? Would it be rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. Think about it. What words would be written from your jail cell of the trauma of your life if you had had half the issues that Paul went through? Listen, the same joy Paul experienced through his adversity is available to each and every one of us. Listen. There's no excuse for the believer to not be full of joy. I'm not talking about denying your pain and sorrow. Paul had heartbreak in his life. You read 2 Timothy, man, he heartbroken. Demas left me. These guys left me. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord give him what he deserves. Uh, but the Lord stood with me. He suffered sorrow and heartbreak, but it did not affect his joy. His inner knowing that God was in charge. And it's all only temporary. And we hadn't even started looking at the book yet. That's just the theme. And as we began to break down this book and look it over and, and, and pull it apart, that joy can come alive in all of us. And don't you think it's time to get out of the basement and stop digging holes? Come on. Some people say, yes, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good under the circumstances. Well, what are you doing there? My Bible says I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. Ha, 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 I got the joy, joy, joy in my soul. Let's stand up tonight. Amen. Y'all have been good. You've been good listeners. You've been attentive. Let's lift our hands to the Lord and, and, and seal this tonight. Father, we seal the word of the Lord tonight. And we pray the joy of the Lord would be our strength. God, that your joy would come upon us. That, Lord, the Holy Spirit would empower us. And we have faith in you. Lord, help us move to a whole new level of biblical joy. Lord, that is not based upon the circumstances, not relying upon the circumstances, but, Lord, is relying upon a trust and a confidence in you. A steadfast assurance that you are in charge. And you've got our ultimate best and your glory in mind. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.